0: Man, it got quiet in here. (laughs) Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the final panel of the day. This panel is all about social commerce. The the panel that we've assembled is um, a group of very experienced folks in uh, different aspects of the music industry who can bring their own unique perspective to the topic of social commerce. My name is Marcus Whitney, I'm going to be the moderator for the panel. I'm CTO and co-founder of a company called Moontoast. We are a social commerce technology company, usually recognized in the music world as being part of the D2C space. We work with, with labels like Big Machine Records, Universal, Warner Brothers, and Pop, The Orchard. We uh, we help brands to take brand offers directly to the fan through social channels very, very effectively. and so. We are excited about the opportunity that social commerce brings, specifically in direct-to-fan, but we know that social commerce is something much bigger than just direct-to-fan. It's really about the consistent ascent of social networks now kind of culminating into a $100 billion IPO for Facebook, and the consistent ascent of, of e-commerce completely you know, destroying every other kind of commerce in its way, being ubiquitous now with mobile devices. And so the intersection of those two things is really what we're going to talk about in all of its different incarnations. And so I'm very excited to now introduce our panel and I'll let each one of them tell you a little bit about themselves, their company, and their perspective on social commerce. So we'll start with each, each person and let them uh, then introduce themselves. Uh, starting on my left, we were going to have Mary Kuz, Director of Product Development for, uh, for PayPal, if you were looking at the, uh, the program earlier. She's ill today, so in, in her place, we've got Keith Koenig, also from PayPal.
1: Hi, everyone. My name's Keith Koenig. I've been with PayPal for about five years. Uh, I'm currently in charge of strategic partner development in the digital goods space, which includes gaming, video, music, uh, software, as well as social commerce.
0: To his right, Jacqueline Renier from The Orchard.
2: I'm Jacqueline. I'm the VP of Product Marketing at The Orchard. And The Orchard is a distribution company focused on music and video. For us, distribution is everything from artist marketing information to the core of artist music and helping them to sell their music across the world. And for social commerce, we do D uh, D 2 C for our clients. We help them facilitate sales directly to their fans. But it's also about working with companies like Spotify and how Spotify has really enabled social commerce within Facebook and within their actual tool.
0: To my right, Melissa Adair from Spinlet.
3: Hi, Spinlet, as you're all probably familiar with on your lanyards, is a mobile music digital distribution for emerging markets and on the mobile platform. And I am the senior public relations manager, also oversee marketing in North America and Europe and for all of our events and such. And for us, you know, social commerce is also B2C and, you know, mainly on the artist front. So I'll be talking about how for us that means how can we help artists sell their music in different creative ways.
0: And to the far right, David Dufresne from Zubel.
4: Uh, hi, I'm CEO at Bandsvgal. We're a website platform for bands and musicians. So uh, think of a think of a WordPress content management system that is super easy to use and specifically made for bands. So anyone can come and themselves without having to hire a designer build the full website. We have all the features that uh, that you need for a band website, all integrated. And one uh, one of those features is a store that. Um, that you can use to sell uh, your digital music or your physical merch. And uh, it's part of our, we're a monthly subscription fee and we don't take any percentage of sales. So we have a lot of our artists that use their website as the maybe the ultimate direct to fan uh, commerce tool where they can sell their music and get to keep, uh, get to keep all of the revenue except for PayPal's uh, well-deserved cut. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, that's it. I mean, our like we're soon going to be reaching six million in revenue directly, um, directly for the directly for the artists that they've sold through Banzo powered stores, and uh, that's pretty like if you look at it on um, revenue per artist, it's not that big. But to see that so many people are still making those transactions happen is actually super exciting.
0: Awesome, thank you. So. So, Dave, let's let's stick with you for a second. Um, you know, your your platform is um, is really about this all-in-one experience that is pretty website-centric, right? Would you agree with that?
4: Yeah, it's totally website-centric.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you know, tell me what the Banzoogle pers- perspective is, and maybe even philosophy in terms of how you. Speak to your artists, your clientele, about the phenomenon of social commerce. I'm, I know they're, they're asking you about it, they're asking you about Facebook and Twitter and how these things play in. How, what is the Banzoogle approach to that?
4: We think they should leave every social network and just focus on their website. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, like the, the image I like to use is, uh, is the one of uh, hub and spokes, uh, where uh, your website definitely should be your main hub and then think of, of Facebook, Twitter, even MySpace, uh, YouTube as spokes, where you're, uh, you have to be active and do it in a smart way to engage your fans. But when you get the chance, you bring them back to your website because the, because the website is uh, is the one address you own that, and that you're always going to own. It's where you can get people to sign up for your mailing list, which is like for future commerce, probably maybe the most important step. And it's where you can sell your stuff and monetize your fans uh, directly. You you control the you control a channel. You get to keep the highest percentage of your sales ever, and you control the design, experience, the narrative that you can where you can wrap that you can wrap your commerce in. Uh, which doesn't mean you shouldn't be active on all the social networks. Which doesn't mean you should you shouldn't uh, you should leave iTunes or like I think your music should be available wherever people are going to be looking for it. And more and more it does mean that you need, you, it needs to be buyable from, uh, from Facebook or through a Twitter link. And it's definitely features that we're going to be building out in the near future. But, um, but yeah, it's basically, so to answer your question is, focus on your website, try to bring as much traffic there, but you still need to be active on, on wherever you think your fans are and where your future fans are.
0: Keith, how does that play into the, the PayPal perspective? I know that there are, you know, a suite of products from PayPal: the, the mobile products, you know, the the, embed, the uh, embedded payment flow, um, the, the express checkout, you know, the, the ability for PayPal to enable these payments all over
1: the place. How how does that play into what Dave was talking about? Sure. So. I'm in an interesting position where here we are at a music conference and music is, is a kind of a passion industry. It's pretty sexy and, and I deal with payments, which is effectively like plumbing. It's something that you need in your house. You probably look for some, uh, you know, a cheap price on it and you really don't care about it until it fails. <laughs> PayPal's perspective is that plumbing is, only, is something that we should take care of and not the artists of the world. The artist should be out there engaging with their fans, being creative, doing the things they do best. And PayPal kind of seeks to make payments um, something that you can check off, I'm done with that, I can allow PayPal to let me do it. And enable people to keep more of that revenue that they deserve by opening up different markets around the world, not having the complexity of having a account in Germany and Japan and Singapore and the US all of that nightmare. And so PayPal's perspective is we want to make it easy for people to embed payments wherever they want. So if that's on their website, whether it's actually in a social commerce environment, whether if it's in a distributed commerce environment, say uh, you want to sell from an ad unit or you want to enable a blog to uh, sell your goods, um, we want to just be that trusted payment component to allow commerce to happen where your customers might be. Jacqueline, <clears throat> I know that your
0: team uh, works directly with, I mean, I think something to the tune of you know, 10,000 different labels, is that right? We've about 1,500
2: active labels. Yeah,
0: 1,500, okay, yeah. um, and, and you, you, you work with them to actually implement D2C campaigns, mm-hmm. right? So you've, you have a total view of all these different tools, obviously you use PayPal mm-hmm. you know, when necessary, what what's what's the orchard's kind of golden rule around social commerce today?
2: The golden rule is you really have to identify what your goal is. So if your goal is to reach your fans, then you want to go where they are, as David was saying. Um for us, it's really about looking at the artist and seeing how many fans they have. So if you're if you have, you know, a thousand fans on Facebook, you might not be quite ready to spend all of that time creating a really comprehensive really, you know, somewhat difficult to put together a social commerce plan. So it might be better for you to really utilize something like Spotify and create a playlist on Spotify and really start driving interest to that um, because it's so simple and so easy. And then once you have a little bit more of a following, then it's time to really, you know, get all your guns together and create that really amazing social commerce campaign that will then, you know, encourage your fans to buy your music and your T-shirts and your autographed CDs and everything that you can possibly sell to them.
0: Gotcha. And and then Melissa in, in terms of, you know, the global market and maybe not necessarily, you know, direct transactional commerce, but other ways that social helps to monetize um you know on behalf of artists and, and labels, et cetera, you know, what what's the spinlet approach to it?
3: Well, actually, to speak on some of the things Jacqueline was just saying, a lot of our artists in the African markets don't have very large followings on their social networks (coughs) and such. They're still kind of getting the hang of that. So we're coming in and we're kind of coaching them and also working with them to raise the awareness and bringing them into international environments to help that way. But in terms – so you know, they're not at the the point where we're going full-fledged into – marketing plans for them but we are trying to leverage our social networks that are growing rapidly because everyone's becoming familiar with the spinlet brand to you know we have a new program called discover me and we'll feature a different artist every every week you know and then that will always link back to someone can then buy that music on spinlet and so in turn you know we've featured the artist raised awareness and then we've now turned that into hopefully some money for them and also, you know, on the playlist, that's a big part of our thing. We'll do featured playlists. We have different artists that we feature. The more well-known ones, you know, what are they listening to? And that's a good discovery tool for all the other artists as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, it's, it's really early in the, in the social commerce space. You know, most, most labels and, and management companies have really been focusing on just learning um, the basic blocking and tacking, tackling around effective social media practices, um, and that's been difficult, you know, across different artists' genres as well as, you know, different ages, frankly. Um, you know, without trying to uh, uh, stereotype, there has been, you know, it's, there, it's been known that maybe older artists don't necessarily want to be directly engaged on social networks, whereas the younger ones may take to it quickly and jump kind of, you know, all over it. Um, and so, with all of that work that's been happening, um, what are, what are some real proof points that we can, you know, learn from this panel about what's actually worked in social commerce? Something really tactical that everybody could could actually understand.
2: I mean, one thing that we did with you actually, um, we have an artist named Kina Grannis, and she had a huge. She was kind of a YouTube sensation, so she had a great Facebook following. And because we knew that her Facebook following was so rabid and she has such active fans, we decided to focus all of her sales on her Facebook page. So it made for us, rather than focusing on her website, because we would then have to try and drive people to her website, we really went to where all of her fans were and sold her music to them that way, and it ended up being a great success for us.
1: I can jump in on that. So I think there's been a lot of experimentation as the the various brands and companies sort of feel their way into how to navigate Facebook and, and all of the other various social channels. And... And I think the ones that are actively engaged in experimentation and have set their organizations up to be agile enough to test and learn and make changes and move with the times, are those, those are the companies that are ultimately gonna succeed. Some of the things that we've learned from earlier experimentation is simply thinking of, of these social venues as yet another sales channel is, is just not working. Um, The good news is the things that are working are those areas in which um, somehow form someone's identity. Is your identity about fashion? Are you passionate about music? Are you into a certain sports team? The good news is for the most people in this room that are in the music industry, music is one of those things that people are passionate about and they care about actually liking a band, liking a song, liking a concert. Whereas we've seen um, you know, plenty of brands saying, well, li- like uh, you know, this brand of detergent and get five bucks off. Well, that's not a very lasting relationship. And so w- what I would say is those industries and areas where there is some component of human identity and passion, those are the areas with the most promise. And to set up your organizations and your effort to be agile enough to test and learn I don't think anyone really knows the answer and if you do it will probably be some different answer next week
3: so you know actually thinking of an example of one of the artists I worked with the Neville Brothers uh, with Elevation Group on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina they're from New Orleans we did kind of a matching donation, where if you liked our Facebook and you went to um, Music Cares and you donated, we would match that donation. And we kind of did that to just show that, you know, the Neville brothers are from New Orleans, they love New Orleans, and find people that are passionate about New Orleans. You obviously are passionate about it if you're gonna donate. So once we got those people to our our site and we started interacting with them, we then kind of released this live archive show and gave it away to them through Topspin and you know that got an amazing response and we saw that our fans actually really interacted with us so after we did that we started realizing okay why not Let them know that, hey, you know, it's the 20th anniversary of Yellow Moon, you know, buy this now, things like that. And then we would see a spike in sales. So, you know, what Keith was saying, when your fans are passionate about what you're doing, that's the most important part. And finding out who those people are by paying attention to, you know, your interactions, your stats, and things like that. You know, I think someone mentioned earlier that you look at different types of posts. And you see which ones people are responding to the most, and you try to do those more and more. And then you find out, you know, okay, are people responding to buying things through this outlet? If not, you try something different. So, I'm,
4: I'm personally, when it comes to social commerce, I think the most, personally, the most exciting thing in music right now to me is the Kickstarter model of uh, crowdfunding or fan funding. Um, Specific projects by giving like the, the downside of that model is that you need to have a you need to have an existing fan base, but it doesn't have to be super big. And then we see success stories every day. And it's not just Kickstarter, because we have uh, we have one of our one of our customers, a band from Toronto called Enter the Haggis, raised 40 grand for their album, just doing basically doing the Kickstarter thing, but directly from their website and then energizing their social networks to bring people back. And, and it's like, you can, like, we can wrap it in a narrative of crowdfunding and uh, collective patronage of arts, but what it really is is, is a pre-sale tool where if you're smart about it, you think of packages that you're, that you're, different kind of packages that your fans are gonna want at different price points. You expose your project, and you 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 do it. You know, by by not just saying I'm gonna make this, but here's the context, here's who I am, here's why we're making this, here's why I need you, and then uh, and then for a lot of people it works. And I think um, I think that sort of partnership that happens between the the creator and the and the fan, like a lot of the future of the music economy is gonna derive from that partnership. So any and and, it, and, it, and it's working, right for those people. So how can you translate that into into your case, right? Either if you're a company that is trying to, to to help artists monetize, or if you're an artist that's trying to get either grow your fan base or start monetizing it, it's that like I don't have all the answers, but uh, it's it's an amazing time to be working with those tools in social social commerce.
2: I mean one thing that would be interesting to try, and we haven't done this, but if you think of it as a partnership with your fans, and you know all this social sociability enables conversation. So have the conversation with your fans before you're about to sell your album to find out if they maybe want a skateboard that was designed by the artist, or, you know, a book of lyrics that was designed by the artist. You can actually do some polling prior, and have a conversation with your fans prior to manufacturing anything. See what they're most interested in, and then you go ahead and manufacture that.
4: It's market research. It's what every single company does, really.
2: Exactly.
1: It's kind of the power of American Idol. It's the ultimate market research, right? They put the product out there. They test it across America. They get people to vote. And the the winning product, they go and put to market, and they make all the money, right? It's the most fantastic piece of crowdsourced market research uh, in, in modern times let me let me throw out another uh, another thing that you guys can latch on to as as you talk about social commerce and, and I do this a lot um, you ask 10 people and you're going to get 10 different answers what is social commerce and again I think we're all feeling our way into it and it's really a combination between uh, marketing and a- driving actual incremental revenue as you're in that marketing phase and developing that relationship with uh, people that care enough to be listening to you, I think the notion of authenticity is incredibly important. Um, people are smart and they can see bullshit from 10 miles away. And so if you're trying to you know, do some overt marketing or ram something down their throat, they're gonna call you on it. And so really having that authenticity to your message when you do communicate with those folks that are caring to listen to you, uh, give them something that, that actually is meaningful that's actually human. That's from the heart. That's that's uh, you know of some sort of benefit to them, not just to you. That's interesting. One of the big
0: um, golden rules at Moon Toast is that your social channel is actually a loyalty channel, and that while it is not the same thing as an email address, um, you have the ability to rather than try and figure out what the value of a like is, to actually set the value of a like. So. <laughs> In exchange for someone liking your page, you can give them access to polls and questions and and, and feedback, or you could give them merchandise opportunities that they can't get anywhere else. You can you can create this type of you know loosely created fan club, basically, right? Um, just by deeming it so. Just by saying that's how I'm going to use this channel, um, and and then that that in, that empowers those fans to then do. The next thing that I want to talk about, which is how do you get your fans to then create more fans for you, right? That's that's really the the power of of social or what makes social different and special from any other thing we've ever had in online marketing is that that word viral or that, that kind of, you know, that net promoter. Uh, capability. So, you know, wh- what what are some best practices or some case studies that that, you know, this panel has experienced around being able to leverage social, you know, either through something like Spotify and and using tactics there or directly on Facebook or Twitter, etc., um to really grow the fan base and and to to grow maybe even revenue.
3: I've had a lot of success with contesting and, you know, it kind of goes back to giving people something that they want to share. So maybe it's a yeah, so you know,
2: different channel. I think, I think one thing.
3: Okay, so is on on Facebook, Facebook, for instance, hey, we'll for users that for And then you get people to, as a contest, share this throughout their networks and then ten people win a meet and greet with Wilco. So obviously that's not my case study, but that's a good example of something that you could do. And I know for us We did, with Spinlet, we did a contest recently where in our markets, mobile phones, Blackberries especially, are hugely in demand. People want them so bad. So we did a contest where we gave away a bunch of Blackberries, and we gained so many new fans and had a lot of great feedback, and people were like, we love Spinlet, so we actually, because we gave them something, you know? So it really works out well. So I'm a big fan of of that method.
4: In our case, uh, we, we work with a lot of um, smaller artists, right? emerging artists, and um, like some, something that, I've seen a lot of cases where the artists are successful into engaging their, like, I don't like the word viral, just because I don't really like viruses, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but turning, like, like energizing your fan base to get some new fans is like a really good way to make it happen, is to just ask them. And, uh, and I, I know some artists, and, and obviously if you're woke we you won't do that, but, but just you're touring, email people that you know are in the city, and, and if you have a good mailing list, you know who they are, right? Email them personally, and you take a couple hours, send some personal emails, say, hey, I hope I'm coming through to town, I hope you're gonna come, bring some friends, like, and that's just one example. And it, the same can happen through a Facebook page, the same can happen anywhere through Twitter. is a great, great tool for that, but ask your, you know, just ask your fans to, to promote your stuff. And if they really like you, if they, if they just like the content, they might do it, but if they really like the artist that's creating the content, they'll be happy to do it. Because if you do that, you're treating them as partners and as fans of your art and not just consumers of your product. And usually that works pretty well.
1: I think on the, on the technology side, one mistake that we make a lot is to create solutions and then go look for yeah. problems. Um, in, in the social world, uh, you know, I would really challenge you to think about what are those true human interactions that were going on before the internet ever came to be. People were going to, to events together. People were going to see movies together. People were going over to each other's house to watch the Super Bowl. People were you know, trading cassette tapes out of the back of their cars. Think about those truly innate human actions and how that we can use technology and the social platforms actually to augment those experiences, and I'll give you an example. Um, about an hour ago, I met uh, Gabe from Sonic Living, and he was telling me about um, doing some promotions in advance of Lady Gaga's release where there was a kind of a digital line that people queued up waiting for the release of this song. And in, in the line, you could kind of talk to each other and get excited. And uh, another one of my colleagues said, yeah, yeah, I remember lining up outside Tower Records and, and how that really kind of helped that that you know buzz that really kind of brought me in and brought me closer to that particular product. Those are those really just innately human experiences that we can enhance in in, in a digital age that were there before so that we're not trying to push people into some technology that they don't really want, but we're enhancing their lives as they were before.
2: And a perfect example of human interactions is you mentioned cassette tapes. So think of how many mixtapes you made for your friends or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And now you look at something like Spotify, and you can do all of that within Spotify. And then you can send that playlist to your friends. I spend, not all day, because I work a lot, but I do spend much part, like a lot of my day looking at Spotify, and I get really excited when I have a little red icon that pops up in my inbox that says, "Ooh, you have a new playlist from your friend Matt. And then I open it, and there's always music that it's introducing, that he's introducing to me. And one of the ways you can use it as an artist, or even better, as a label, is to create a playlist across your label. But don't just limit it to your label. Take in some other artists, and then that enables you know the world of people who now are, can search Spotify playlists to find that artist that they like, and then be turned on to your artists. It's a great, it's a really nice you know follow-up to the cassette tape, the mixtape.
1: There's, there's, if you haven't looked into it, there's some very, very interesting things in in uh, the Facebook Open Graph and things that you can start bringing into your technology to kind of discern a higher level of relevance and get at people with stuff they really care about. Because, I mean, let's face it, today there's so much noise that, you know, it's it's very, very important to, in your one second of attention that you're gonna get, give them something they care about.
3: So I actually have Hold one, on. mo- okay. <laughs> Quick
1: definition for you. If you don't know what the Facebook open graph is, um,
0: it's <clears throat> the underlying, uh, uh, data that connects, that, that represents the connections that we all have inside of Facebook. And there is an API that <coughs> you can access if you write an application, a Facebook application, to actually extract that data um, out of your page. So you can really get a lot of insight into your fans, all of their interests, as well as even their friends and what their friends like.
4: That's where Sorry. the cute kittens come from. That's where they live, <laughs> the open graph. <laughs>
3: So I was just going to give one more example of a local San Francisco artist, Nikki Bloom, just kind of touching on their human interaction points. So when Nikki Bloom goes on tour, she uses the time driving in the van to create this series she's called The Van Sessions, and they cover different songs, Whitney Houston, you know, Otis Redding, all sorts of stuff. And it started where her closest friends were sharing the videos, and then, all these other people started liking them, and now it's like you know it goes up 20 each time she puts a video up, and they've just gotten to be really cool and popular, and everyone loves them. So she needed to do some tour fundraising, and one of the things that she auctioned off for fundraising is if you donated a thousand dollars, we would create a van session for you, your song of choice, and you know give you a shout out in it. So you know in a way that's. He, Personal interaction meets social commerce because she was then able to use that thousand dollars to be able to go on the road and tour and stuff. You know, she wasn't actually selling, you know, a physical good, but she, in a way, was kind of selling a, a human interaction that meant enough to someone enough to someone for them to actually buy it. You
4: know, the, the band I mentioned earlier, uh, in their Enter the Haggis, the, in their fundraiser, they did, they did <laughs> some amazing things. They, and I think the top uh, the top item you could you could buy was that Brian the singer would get a matching tattoo with you okay. if you paid. I don't know how much it was like ten grand and, <laughs> and uh, whatever whatever you wanted tattoo he would get the same exact exact Whoa, same spot. the price
1: tag on that one? And, uh, I don't have ten k or. More. Yeah, I don't
4: remember, but uh, but they do also they play um, like Celtic rock and they organize they do organize trips for their fans to Ireland. Well, they do like mini tours of five towns in Ireland and bring like a hundred heavy drinking Canadian and American <laughs> fans with them, put them on a plane and like it, like of course you have to have a fan base already to make those things happen, but it's, it's thinking outside the box that like, yeah, I think my fans would be into that. Let's try it.
0: Awesome, so, so you gave us one example of something that you probably shouldn't try, the matching
5: <laughs>
0: um, What Maybe a haircut. <laughs> All I could think about was I don't know if anybody else saw it, but the girl who got um, Drake tattooed on her yes. forehead. So oh, dear. Like I was like, Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I'm not I'm not doing that was bad. Is she trying to win um, No, she's just crazy. Um, so 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 what what are some you know, gotchas or some please don't do's of social commerce, right? And they may just be some don't do's of social, um, but it, it is tricky, you know, the whole idea of introducing commerce into that authenticity channel, right? Um, you don't want to ruin the the relationship and the relationship is not, a, it's not about dollars, although your fans will pay for tickets to come see you, they will buy your music, buying is a core part of the relationship, no question, but it's, it's tricky. To, to keep it, you know, cool. So what are some things to to not do? Go ahead.
3: I was just going to say oversaturation. Don't turn your platforms into solely buy my stuff. You know, that's, I think, the number one, do not do. You need to have all these, you know, you need to be giving your fans just as much as they're giving you. And if, you know, if you have time, every day you should post something on your page, even if it's just like, Hey, what's up? You know, a photo of backstage at a show. Whatever you do, don't make every post be about buying something.
4: I would say don't think don't think that you're selling music, because you, what you're selling is is an experience that involves music. So every time you're trying to get your fans to open up their wallet. Try to think what experience am I, are they gonna have with my music? Like The music is the most important thing and it needs to be really good for people wanting to pay for it. But is it, and you're still selling music. You might be selling a download, you might be uh, selling a package, a special edition vinyl or something. But what you're really selling is the is the enjoyment that the fan is gonna get from that piece of content. And And don't, Underestimate how much that is worth, right? Because, because I think just just you guys, I take a minute and think how many bands and artists do you know and love nowadays, and how compared to how many our parents when they were our age, knew and loved. It's probably ten times or maybe more than that. But we we still have only two years and like three thirty-six hundred minutes in a day to be, you know, allocating some of that to music and comes in competition with TV and video games and work and the rest of life. So it's a limited set of att- minute, like a music attention. And like our parents, we only have probably 20 bucks in our pocket to be spending on music. So, but we need to spread it out over so many more artists. So it doesn't work. Like unless, unless you're, you're saying the fans that really, really love me are gonna give me a lot more revenue than the rest, than the other ones, it it doesn't work. So stop thinking that you're selling MP3s or units of content on which your margin is is really small. Start thinking how can I be more engaged with my fans so that they'll want to buy more stuff and, and actually become partners in my career.
2: I would say don't take the functionality of the commerce part lightly. You need to make sure that you do find trusted partners who can their customer service is spectacular, because it is a reflection back on the artist. If one of, your, one of your fans wants to return something for whatever reason, and they can't actually figure out how to do that, that always comes back to the artist, and it's just a poor reflection on the artist. So make sure that whoever you are partnering with to enable the social commerce is someone that you really have vetted.
1: I'll give you two of them. Um, first one, and one of the reasons I'm most excited about uh, a social commerce panel at the mu- at the music conference is, it's the intersection between social and music is one of the first times in a very very long time where you can actually see where this industry could have a very significant disruption. It finally puts the power of the relationship between the artist and their end fan back in the back in the driver's seat with that artist. And the ability to monetize that, the ability to direct that in any direction, the ability to distribute that around the world is unlike it's ever been in in history. And as we sort of detangle ourselves from all of the various contracts and, and rights uh, red tape, um, the power of going direct um, is is. Really, very interesting. I had the pleasure of spending some time with the rap artist Chameleon Air uh, a few months back, and he's one of the few guys that just really gets it. He's from from day one. He really had a connection with his fans. He really was very cognizant about staying in control of his art form, and he's uh, you know I I can't wait to see what he does when he really comes out full force. Uh, using the, the social channels. And my second don't is don't, don't underestimate or don't be afraid of the power of analytics. You hear the term analytics and you know, some, the creatives kind of run the other way or you think analytics is just you know, the, the nerd in the back room. Analytics um, can be dumbed down so that people like me um, can get a useful grip on them. But don't be satisfied with just number of likes. In in the era that I mentioned before, where it's just a blitzkrieg of of content and stuff, and you have one second of someone's attention, using analytics, you can really get to the people that care about you and what they care about, and you can use that to fine tune your business. So in music, you can figure out, um, you know, various geographic locations where people like you. I've got a, a I always remember a friend, a friend of mine's in a, a band called L1011. It's a drum and bass loop band. And, and he came and toured and he came up to Santa Cruz where I live. And, you know, there were a grand total of 10 people in the audience. And, and he said, God, you should see us in Japan. There's thousands of people that like us. We have no, re- no idea. And they would go from town to town and they'd go from 10 people in the audience to 1,000 people in the audience. Well, you know, if you just scratch that first layer of, of data off, they could figure out exactly where their fans were and cater their tour accordingly. So there's just a wealth of information right below that first layer that would really, really help both the independents uh, and you know, the majors. Thanks. So
0: with that, I'd love to open up the, uh, the panel to questions and uh, try and keep this very interactive for the remainder of the day take off for a minute so I apologize if y'all covered this but I uh, wanted to hear from everybody what they consider the value of a Facebook like Twitter follower and even email address um, relative to each other but also do you have a certain number in mind and how does it differ depending on the bands that you're working with uh, I'll, I'll start I'll start so, so I, I made a small comment hard numbers I I'm, I'm, yeah I made a small comment about it which is that um as I said at Moon Toast, our perspective is that a social channel should be treated like a loyalty channel, and that you know there's a lot of people are always asking the question, what's the value of a like? What's the value of a like? What's the value of a like? By by dollar, because we've done a lot of these campaigns, it, it's very inconsistent, and it's it's um, it can only be measured by how good the artist is at you know engaging with their with their fans through that channel. Um, but you have the ability to actually place a value on the like by what you give to your fans exclusively through that channel, right? So that, that's, that's a, it's a spin on it. It's a kind of a different way to think about it rather than what you get out of that like. You know, what do you give in exchange for that like? And then what is kind of the return that the fan gives to your overall career, right? So that's, it's just kind of a different perspective in, on how to look at it.
4: I like I like the email address a lot just because it's um, and we discussed it um, when we just before the panel. It's uh, it's not perfect, but it's never gonna go away. Like people uh, probably change cars or more often now that they change email addresses. <laughs> so um, so it's definitely like and even if you underuse it or use it badly, it's the one thing that is gonna help you reach that fan maybe ten years from now. And uh, and 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 if they go away from Facebook and jump into something else, they'll do it using the same email. So you'll be able to track them down and keep uh, remain involved with them. So, um, so I don't have a hard number. It definitely depends what you do with it. But I, I would say if you can get someone like someone's <laughs> permission to email them as much as you want, that's worth a lot more than getting someone to click one one click like on. Because you don't know what they like. Maybe they like you, maybe they like one song that you put on, maybe they like some comment that someone made on your, so it's hard to really qualify the value of a Facebook like. And as more people keep liking stuff, like I, I think I know like 400, I like 400 bands now on Facebook. So what's the, like as, and every time you keep liking something, usually you don't unlike something else. So the marginal value of an extra like is decreasing as you as people keep using the platform. So I don't know. And Twitter Twitter is good if you uh, if you use it, if you know how to use it, if you're active, if you're engaged and it's a slow, like it takes a while to build a following. And again, then it depends how you use it. If you use it to, if you're smart about it and you use it to let, let your fans know about your shows, uh, get them to retweet your new song, <laughs> get them to come to your website and then buy something, then it's worth a lot. But, but it's hard to do.
2: It- I completely agree and Twitter is also one of the one of the that's the most difficult to get attention in. If you look at, you know, if you follow a lot of people on Twitter, you have to constantly be focused on your stream in order to see everyone's message. Mm-hmm. There's no way everyone is always doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's your your message is most easily lost on Twitter compared to all the other methods.
0: But I think you can get away with tweeting, you know, upwards of 10 plus times oh, yeah, you can a, a tweet day, way more versus than you can post on Facebook. email yeah. or Facebook yes, especially. Right. And then just one other thing to throw out there that I think people might find interesting if they haven't heard it before, but uh, there, was a, there was an article published late last year that said a Facebook fan was worth $3.60. Take it for what it's worth. It obviously differs across the board. But, well,
3: uh, I was actually just going to touch on that. You know, with a Facebook <laughs> ad where you're trying to get people to like your page, you actually do have to set a value for what you're willing to pay for that click. So, you know, I personally, 50 cents. Because exactly like he said, I go through and I like things all day long. You know, and I actually have gotten to the point that I've liked so many things that if someone is like spamming me or trying to sell too much to me, I go to their page just to unlike them. You know, so you don't want to spend too much money on that because your most valuable resource is your email list and your website. That's where you want to like put money into things, you know, Um, and making those the best that you possibly can because Facebook could come and go. I
4: I like all my competitors on Facebook, just so I can (laughs) keep track on what they're doing, right? So that's a negative value.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I actually went after one mobile um, phone, two email, address, iOS, three Twitter, uh, standard for the four audio copy and paste like things. But on the left, um, I'm really I would have to monitor that very closely. Where we are now, if you see additional signals on, top music on top of that, music app that's actually stuff, giving you a very totally clear indication that that person can a bit more publish it. So maybe they listen to the, the sounds, sounds that it makes. Maybe they, any other app can. Maybe they did something else and use it as much like just a simple waveform. Format. Uh, but the difference is that any fairly of the applications if you to that are things. compatible with that format are well,
6: kind
0: of listed of as industry. part of the standard. Uh, so, um, standard. Uh, panel, so it isn't um, simply just this last week's wild for a out exclusive. It, it's sort of the standard cellular band.
6: I guess kind of this. leads you uh, into uh, other uh, products. And this kind of helps so the compatibility because it, it encourages people to sort of, as they're developing it, try it out with these different apps and make sure everything's working. I mean, we've got a long way to go, though, because right now that's just moving any given audio one around. It doesn't move the metadata and the tempo data and, and, um, and multi-tracks in a way that's it depends. very useful. You know, for, really,
0: really, really for casual, like,
6: use on how do couch, you
0: do it, it's, how I think do you it in that particular training. good start? Um, yeah, but really the cool thing, thing
6: is that now it is, in, in the you know, channel, um, even though the, the, the standard is basically, the only standard really it is, that is I really think widespread think one of the is of course uh, the, the, the way the, the,
0: the era of the
6: way format and you know and the sound itself. It's the cool thing is today that you can PC just drag business. that into an and, app and the an app will figure out, you know, tempo and, and what not, the, 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 the mix, what so 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 the quality use to that. So and from that perspective, today, it reached you reached a point where because you actually collaboration can happen without those fences or the metadata that. And it's, no, it's difficult to say. say I, kind of say future thinking them I mean, um, in. If you look at the various not, apps and all, not algorithms uh, or logic or the uh, like. I mean, or graph points. Or we're saying, or, seeing or them, uh, any of the various apps anymore. Kind of the next step. I'd love to see you know this more things drop. You never know what's going to happen. It's an interesting. Actually, having a. And, and, and APIs for manipulating and, and, and you know, data so that you, you can, can actually have your ProTool know, session repr- in, in the in, cloud in, and you Newbox, can actually pluck individual and tracks and data out and, so that you, know, you start
0: making these various iOS or Android
6: apps and other web-based products so that I can actually my tracks from my
0: online ProTool session
6: to my online broadband or directly into the app and uh, allowing uh, all third-party developers instead of necessarily opening up the specific file format allowing the APIs to say you go in and you can out, you know and interrogate and what the tracks are, what the, the instruments are and pull, the and pull that data out and pull the mini data out, so. out and <laughs> bring it into your own. <laughs> so kind of putting the burden <laughs> back on the developers uh, to start manipulating the data and you know creating to open standards. Yeah, all these various REST APIs uh, that we can go in, and in, you, upload uh, and download stuff to SoundCloud. For like, why can't I 40 40 start poking into uh the
7: yeah, data of my garage band or my um, logic? Um, yeah. so uh, one to one. It's the only individual relationship that you own you have to have an email address to have any kind of a social account anyway. So email is going to be the cornerstone. It's going to be the cornerstone for a long time. There is no silver bullet. Uh, it's it's you know, no bright, shiny object. It's all of them put together. But the email, we think, and in the music industry, we think it's much higher. You, know, you buy one ticket to a Bonnaroo or anything like that and you're blown the $45 you know, out of the water. So fundamentally, I think email is still going to be the mainstay, no matter what the, the comings and goings might be of social and, and what those social networks might be. So 45 bucks. That's your hard
5: number.
1: I need need
7: to increase my pricing.
4: uh,
1: You know, I think we're all scared to answer that question because there isn't one answer, right? No. So you know, you might be a hip-hop artist who you know needs to go out and you know have cassette tapes out of the back of your trunk. You might, you might be, uh, you know, who knows what that form of communication. But if you're out there and you really understand the other side of the equation. Well, if you were in their shoes, how would you like to hear that message and what is the message that you would respond to? You need to be in tune with that in any business, whether you're uh, you know, a Procter & Gamble brand or whether you're an independent artist. Um, that sort of ethnographic connection to your audience and your buyers is is ultimately uh, what's gonna define that value.
8: Um, I, I would like to just add on to the same thing. like. Um, being a techie and like say um, having used Facebook for six years, one thing I have a big problem with all these networks is um, over six years, my interests have changed. Like If I like someone six years back, it doesn't mean I like them anymore. I would surely not take the time to change. But the thing is, these fan pages or uh, Twitter handles, if you follow someone, it, when you communicate, there is no way to differentiate whether I still like you or... Uh, even there is no relevance of a location or time sensitive factors like you didn't put an album for a year like um just because i followed you it doesn't give me give you the right to go and i mean keep on talking to me and you become nice at some point it's i think like there is a huge technology opportunity for these companies to think as well like in terms of um like to Take some kind of a reverse action from um, these channels, like where the they don't like once. It's you. You have to kind of uh, take the time sensitivity and the location sensitivity of things and give it back to the uh, these channels, so artists could do something useful. Now it's it's one-time data, and if you have to keep on valuing it, at some point it becomes uh, meaningless as well.
4: You know how you know how Facebook. There's always um, the right column, like people you may know, because they they really want you to like more people and like keep building that open graph of, of social connections, I think at some point they're gonna be like, do you still like that person? Or do you really like that band because you haven't checked out their page in two years? Because sh- they're gonna have to do that because otherwise the quality the quality of the, the interactions that keep building is gonna go down. So they sort of do it indirectly by removing them from your, yeah, you're right, from, from your stream or from your wall, yeah.
2: And then they have taken sorry, uh, location into it a bit because you can target your messages depending on the location of your fans.
4: The problem for bands though is that it forces you to be constant and constantly. Like if you go in the studio for two months and, and don't want to bring your laptop or iPhone, like you're dead because when you come back, like you you won't be in anyone's Facebook stream. So it forces you to always be creating that content and be super smart about it so that people will like it, post it on their wall, which makes your uh, your score go up. And then it, it's um, yeah, it's a lot of work. But uh, but if your fans are there, there like if you're targeting the younger a younger demographic, you have to be there because a lot of them, you're right, like they they might not open their emails. I,
1: I think what David's saying is actually very important in that. You know, it's it's 2012. It's not optional, and yeah. you really can't take three months off and expect to come back and everyone still think you're the greatest thing. Um, you know, it's you you got to keep that rhythm going, and you know you've got some artists that have been around a long time um, that might have the luxury of of that ever glow, but you know if you want to kind of stay in people's attention guess what, it's, it's not optional.
2: But it is that also that fine balance of remaining relevant while also not oversaturating.
0: Can you use the microphone, please?
7: I just would love to follow up on engagement because that's, that's exactly what you're hitting at precisely. Spammy words are kind of the, uh, the spam traps of your. Now it's about engagement. Gmail keeping an address open that they know you no longer use just to see who hits it. And when they hit, when you hit it, it goes against your rep. So now it's actually engagement. It's keeping your list clean and actually sending to the people who, I mean if a subscriber's never opened, there's no reason to keep sending to them. You're, you're now actually paying money. They haven't bounced, they haven't unsubscribed, but they also have never engaged. So just a small amount of segmentation based on some really basic statistical data not only helps naturally with the health of the list, you save dough, because you're actually only sending to the ones engaged, and you're keeping your reputation clean. So engagement, again, goes back to the the source of the mail. And you can you can geotag also your uh,
4: your mailing list members. So if you're gonna be playing three shows in San Francisco, don't send that email to your Canadian fans, you know, because so that's just noise in their inbox. So, and, and that's true if, if, if you can segment like that on Facebook. It used to be, but I think now it's, uh, like now, it's it's their business model, but um, but yeah, you, you need to again. The attention is probably the the most important commodity in the media industry now. So so don't spend that
7: attention in ways that are not smart. Yeah, that 360 degree view of the subscriber, trying to get a completed profile so all of your messaging can be more relevant. Yeah. More relevancy, more engagement, more engagement, more conversions, more conversions, more ROI. It's a pretty simple path. It sounds like a no brainer, but I know it's really difficult for a lot of companies, especially the enterprise, to, to figure that out.
0: Totally. We've got five minutes. I knew there were some other questions. I wanted to. In the back, please. <laughs>
5: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, my thought too, and I've experimented <clears> with this for some clients, so I'm wondering what your experiences are with social CRM, because when we're talking about traditional email segmentation, exactly because you don't want to burn people out, if you're, if they're not opening it, there's no open rate, then check the health of your list annually, you know, clean it out, keep it healthy. Same applies for social, uh, for social, so, you know, we're expen- experimenting quite a bit with tools that allow us to ask people, how do you want to be connected with us. Do you want to be connected through email? Do you want to be connected through Facebook, through Twitter? This is really valuable information. And there's some social, uh, some social graphics, actually, that can be extracted from a person who wants to be communicated with through email versus how they want to, versus whether they want to be communicated with through Twitter or Facebook. So you know, it's, um, it's segmenting for the social space. And there are some great tools out there. So I'm wondering what your individual experiences are with that, if any.
0: Definitely any experience
5: with that? Mm -mm. Well, I
3: haven't personally, you know, worked on that side of things, but you know, I I think it still goes back to even if people are choosing certain methods of interaction, it's how you interact. And with Facebook, you know, there's edge rank. So if you're not posting photos, it's not appearing in the feed and things like that. So there's different things that are underlying in each you know, outlet. Like he's saying and you're saying with the email list, if they're not opening, clean it up. With Facebook, you know, it's like it's about the right content. And it's just having a different method of operation for each. And ideally, you know, if there are tools out there that you can clean up those lists, you can find out who's not interacting with you. And, you know, I actually like it from his point of view, from the personal point of view, I wouldn't mind if Facebook could figure out that I, I'm not interacting with so-and-so anymore you know i only liked guar because we were doing a project you know it's like that's the only reason but um you know so that would be great but if there was a tool like that for artists that would be amazing you know because that just makes it even stronger specifically
5: for artists but i think you could probably manipulate the ones that exist to make it work for you because you know we're looking at different facets of that same diamond it's it's not just your personal preferences it's your personal preference it's uh, excuse me it's not just about the the appropriate content for the space it's about which space you want to be spoken to in right so we may have we have fans who aren't on twitter they have no intention they want nothing to do with it does that mean them le- does that make them less relevant than an email customer or a facebook you know and not in terms of dollars or cents just I don't want to be talked to right. on Facebook. I want to be talked to on but Twitter. You're,
4: or you're not going to use each of those channels in the same way, right? right the the newsletter is something you're going to send maybe once a month, or when you have a big project or a big tour you're announcing. Right. But
5: I'm just saying that being remaining aware of yeah, those yeah. You have, you have to be
4: aware, planned, and but you, know? uh, you have to trust the fans. Like if they don't want to read your tweets, they're not going to follow you. Like exactly.
3: if they.
4: <laughs> that's kind of the basic. That's, that's sort of um, yeah. And if no one follows you on Twitter, like focus on Facebook or focus on your mailing list.
5: And we have a reverse situation with one of my clients right now too, is that um, we have a significant number of people starting to like this, this particular client, but there are people who don't, but we know that they're checking in you know, because our our stats don't measure up necessarily to what the likes are and we see we still see some of those people commenting and engaging, they're just not liking because they don't want the information coming through their stream. So that's a reverse yeah. interesting, interesting You know, they're like, No, no, don't wanna don't want all the likes, don't want it. Are, are, you about, are, you when about, want. are
0: you talking about systems like uh, Sprout Social and Nimble, or more expensive solutions than that?
5: No, there, there was one back a while ago called like Jitter Jam. That was yeah, for, Jitter
0: Jam, yeah. yeah you know, Jitter Jam
5: that that works in that way. But no, just as it was a separate thought that we're seeing people who aren't liking the page, but they're interacting with it, which is an interesting phenomenon.
1: I've got a question, kind of thought for the audience, and bring us back down to the kind of the commerce level. Are there any Apple employees in the audience? Okay, so I can do this. (laughs)
3: Um,
1: How many people are selling on iTunes or have sold on iTunes? Given the relationship that you are stimulating, owning, managing, and engaging with your consumers, are you still comfortable paying 30% to iTunes? Start thinking about how you can use these connections to your fans to keep a higher percentage of your revenues. those I've, That's the power of a social network.
3: I think that goes back to something we mentioned earlier, using trusted resources. You know, So even if you find a way to keep a better percentage, don't take your music off of iTunes. Because there are a lot of people that only trust iTunes or only trust mm-hmm. Amazon, et cetera. So you don't want to rule those outlets out. But if you can, through your website and your email list and all those different outlets sell it at a lower percentage more power to you but don't forget that some people won't use those you know they won't trust it
0: and with that we're done thank you all so much uh, for
2: joining us and uh, we hope to meet you in in the party room